What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. Today, we're covering a case that just recently came to a final conclusion. Taylor Coronado, which she would later change her last name to Shabusiness. We've covered a lot of monsters on Lights Out, and at this point, I'm really not shocked by how evil people can be. On February 12, 2020, Taylor took a selfie with her phone. On the phone screen, she had a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer on it. I will pray that you meet the same fate as your idolistic Jeffrey Dahmer. So have a good life, shit business. She noticed a misplaced five-gallon bucket. It was covered by a towel. Tara lifted the towel up and looked inside. And in the bottom of the bucket, she saw Shad's decapitated head. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. I'm your host, Josh, and I'm joined in this haunted studio by my co-host, Austin. Hey, man. How's it going? I'm, I'm living, man. Yeah. Living. <laughs> Good. And our producer, Daniel. What's up, man? What's up, guys? Today, we're covering a case that just recently came to a final conclusion and with the right punishment. We've covered a lot of monsters on Lights Out, and at this point, I'm really not shocked by how evil people can be. Yeah, we've seen it all here. Pretty much. I, I can't think of any other type of evil that's out there that we have not covered one way or another. But today, we're covering a female monster who used a lot of drugs, and that definitely plays a huge part in this case. However... I do think there are some other elements to this that play into the horrific murder that she committed. And man, this one, uh, this one is wild. The interrogation footage, the police body cam footage of finding the victim's body is just, it's, it's, it's on a whole nother level. This occurred in 2022 and you've probably seen it, especially if you're from Wisconsin, you've probably heard of the Taylor business case and Shad Therion. But it is a, a very, very tragic story. So we're going to be diving into that here in just a moment. I did want to thank everybody out there who voted for our show in the Signal Awards, which is a podcast um, award ceremony, I guess. We're recording this on Monday, October 9th, and we're going to be finding out the results on whether or not we won a Signal Award tomorrow tuesday october 10th so we will post a i'll post a comment um, on youtube to let you guys know if we want or not but i just want to thank everybody who took the time to go and vote for the show we were voted top three paranormal shows that submitted to the signal awards so at the very least we'll win third place i'm hoping for first place of course and then we there's also the people's choice award which is what you guys voted for for best paranormal podcasts so i'm crossing my fingers I'm hoping we we bring home the the dub. Yeah. Cuz we work very hard here at Lights Out to bring you this this content and, and it's about time. It's about damn recognized. time that we get recognized for our hard work and for our amazing audience out there that listens to us day in day out. We really appreciate all of you for helping us 
take lights out to where it's gone and beyond. We have so much more plans, especially going into the next couple of weeks with the Halloween episode coming up, which will be very fun. Oh, I think man. you'll, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit, but so much to look forward to. But with that being said, we're just going to go ahead and dive right in today because there's a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of clips in this one, which I think you'll find uh, very intriguing. So we're going to start this story by talking about the victim in this case, Mr. Shad Rock Therion, who was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin on September 7th, 1997 to Tara Pakenick and Michael Therion. He grew up with two sisters and a brother in the Green Bay area, Go Packers. As a child, he went to Howard Swamico schools, and in his teens, he went to Bayport High. He never finished his schooling, though, and he later dropped out in 2015, but he was able to find work in the family business with his father and grandfather. His family described him as a kind and compassionate soul. He loved games, camping, and spending time with his family. He also had a passion for music, and he was a talented artist who enjoyed wood carving. But while in high school, he dated a girl he had known since middle school named Taylor Coronado, which she would later change her last name to Shabusiness, which I still haven't been able to understand why. Dumb. Why that name? Dumb yeah, name. Dumb. That's really the only word for it. <laughs> dumb. When they began dating, Shad's father, Michael, noted that Taylor was quote unquote polite. Polite girl at the time, I guess. The romance was short-lived and they broke up after dating for less than two years, but they remained friends. Now, Taylor was born Taylor Denise Coronado in Evanston, Illinois, and she was born on November 23rd, 1997. Her parents were named Arturo and Marla Coronado, and she grew up with a younger brother named AJ. Together, they lived in the Chicago area until Taylor was in fourth grade. Her father said when Taylor was young, she was a quote-unquote normal girl who liked volleyball. The family then moved to Green Bay, Wisconsin for her father's work when she was 12 years old. But she later lived with her paternal grandparents in Texas for some time before eventually moving back to Green Bay with her parents. As far as we know, her childhood was mostly stable, but the early death of her mother started a downward spiral in Taylor's life. On May 20th, 2009, her 41-year-old mother Marla passed away from cirrhosis and complications from alcoholism. Taylor was only 11 at the time. The family had known she was ill, but the moment of her death was unexpected. Her father Arturo and Marla had spent the previous night together watching a movie, and everything seemed fine, but by the next morning, Marla had passed away while sleeping next to her husband. The rest of the Coronados struggled to cope with Marla's death, and around this time, Taylor began having problems in school. There was an incident where she stole a classmate's instrument, but to her father, you know, this was just a regular kid who got into some harmless trouble from time to time. But at some point, she did receive mental health treatment to address behavioral issues while in seventh grade. Taylor's father, Arturo, took her to Nicolette Psychiatric Center in Green Bay. And as he put it, quote, she wasn't acting like herself. She was prescribed medication after her visit, but did not continue to take the medication. Her father had also remarried while Taylor was still in school, which caused tension at home. And when Taylor began dating Shad in high school, her behavior only got worse. By her senior year, she was expelled from the school due to fighting. She ended up moving in with her grandparents in Texas once again, and she finished her schooling in 2016 at Catula High School. Then she moved back in with her father. She later enrolled in Grand Canyon University in Phoenix for a short time, 
studying electronics and computers, but she quickly dropped out. In her free time, she made trinkets and knickknacks out of beads and sold them online. Then she found work as a machine operator at Saputo Cheese in 2018. She was employed there for around two years or so, but on February 11, 2020, she left her job. Three days later on Valentine's Day, she married her first husband, Warren Edwin Shabao. So you kind of see where she business might come from. Over the years, Edwin had several run-ins with the law. His charges included armed burglary, two counts of theft as a party to the crime, disorderly conduct, resisting an officer, possession, and domestic abuse. The couple soon started using the last name Shabiznis instead of Shabao, and they got each other's names tattooed on their necks. Early on in their relationship, they both began abusing methamphetamine pretty heavily. Taylor had also started smoking marijuana by age 12 and cocaine and meth by age 18. It eventually got to the point that by 22 years old, Taylor was abusing meth up to 10 times a day. That's that's quite a bit of meth. That's an incredible amount. So meth, I mean, we don't have to get into it too much, but this is a big player in this case. Meth, as most of us know, it's cheap, it's inexpensive, it's highly addictive. Um, here's a quote from Dr. Sherry Fandry, who is the lead of the Manitoba Addictions Knowledge Exchange Center. She said, quote, it has the biggest impact of any stimulant drug on the reward and pleasure system in the brain. Wow. It's basically been described as the best feeling you've ever had in your life multiplied by 100. And supposedly the crash, the come down, is the worst you've ever felt multiplied by 100 down to levels of suicidal depression. So imagine abusing methamphetamine 10 times a day. The ups and downs. You are, you are going to your highest highs and your lowest lows within a day, which is insane to think about. Recovering addicts have explained that while on the drug, you're basically willing to do anything without considering how it affects others, which this will obviously play into this case here. Well, it really puts you into a different reality, yeah, it seems like. You're just not on the same plane as, as someone who's sober. Or even, I mean, even someone just high on a different drug. You're just on a different plane of reality. A minority of users also experience drug-induced psychosis, which is terrifying. It includes visual hallucinations, disorientation, and memory problems. Um, Long-term use, which is at play here with Taylor, in high doses, it's been connected to neurodegeneration in the brain. The effects are similar to something like they equate it to a stroke or physical trauma to your brain. Wow. So just think about that for a hot second. Yeah. This also isn't even mentioning substitutions or additions that might be thrown in. You know, people cut the drugs with certain things. They Sometimes maybe they dilute it and they don't realize they're getting a batch that's not diluted. So they're doing a bigger dose. Um, and things like fentanyl can be added to it, which is a whole nother beast um, in the past you know, decade or so. That's been a huge problem with, with meth users and a lot of overdoses due to, due to fentanyl. So, I mean, suffice it to say, uh, meth is a terrible drug. You shouldn't do it. Um, it's long, very powerful too. Yeah. Long-term effects in high dosages do terrible things to your brain and you will lose yourself to it. And it like deteriorates your body. Yeah. You ever see somebody who, yeah. who abuses methamphetamine for a period of time? I mean, it just completely like, it's crazy. It they, just, crazy enough, the first time I ever experienced that, I was late night, I was watching Adult Swim, and they did a 
it was a Squidbillies episode oh, weird. on methamphetamine. They were joking about meth labs and stuff, but then they did a short PSA at the end of the episode because they realized like, hey, we know we're joking about this, but this is also a serious issue. And they showed all those images of people. It's like three years after using meth and like their teeth are gone. Their mm-hmm. skin is just totally dry and wrinkly and stuff. They look like they aged 20 years. Yeah, yeah. it's really a terrible drug. Yeah. So together, Taylor and Warren really enabled each other's addictions. And after only four months of marriage, police were called to their neighborhood. Taylor was found wandering incoherently throughout the neighborhood, knocking on doors until neighbors called the police. When officers approached, they asked Taylor what she was doing, and she said she wasn't sure and told them that she was currently on a quote-unquote different planet. So that tells you right there just the mind state of somebody on meth. Officers also noticed track marks on her arms, and she admitted to recently using drugs. As officers asked more questions, Taylor became irritated and walked away from police straight into oncoming traffic. The officer grabbed her and got her to safety, while another officer searched the county's database in a squad car for more information on Taylor. And as they waited, Taylor began saying some strange things, like asking the officer in the squad car if they were taking a shit, and she kept trying to walk into oncoming traffic. When the officer stopped her again, Taylor began kicking them. Another officer came to assist and subdue her, and Taylor fought back until they pinned her on the ground. Once they got control of her, they arrested her and charged her with battery on an officer and resisting obstructing a police officer. But she was soon released on bond, and only two months later, Taylor was once again in trouble with the law. While in her car, an officer tried to pull her over for speeding, but Taylor decided to take off in a high-speed chase, which just happens quite a bit. She ran several red lights and barely missed a cyclist. She then evaded a police pit maneuver and fled to a parking lot near her father's house. As Taylor ran from the vehicle, officers were able to arrest her. And after searching her vehicle, they found meth, a syringe, an elastic band, and cotton balls. Several more charges at that point were added to her uh, rap sheet, including fleeing, eluding an officer, resisting obstructing an officer, bail jumping, and possession of drug paraphernalia. She was then released on bond again, which is crazy. She's just able to bond out after these are pretty serious charges. But this time she was required to wear an ankle monitor and a pharma check drug use detection sweat patch. So the reason she's getting released on bond, even though these are serious charges, is I'm assuming because this was the height of COVID-19. This is a time when they were having they were struggling keeping inmates in jails and prisons and They also were threatened with litigation if they didn't control that to some degree. So a lot of people were just using these ankle monitoring systems or drug use detection systems through the sweat. So this is... And kind of like keeping the jails for the violent crimes. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a drug user. They know they're going to re-offend rather than lock them up, save room for the more violent offenders. Exactly. my, My suspicion. So ankle monitoring and drug detection patches became way more common around this time. Um, an ankle monitor typically tracks someone's location with GPS. That's, that's about it. Some do other things, but in this case, it was just GPS tracking. Um, the sweat patch that was mentioned is a, that's the farm check drug use detection sweat patch. That is a drug testing system that you place on your arm. You keep there to monitor any evidence of drugs through your sweat. Now they claim that these are highly accurate, can't be tampered with, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, every monitoring system will claim that, but we know that there's a lot of controversy with these uh, mechanisms. 
especially the ankle monitoring system, which we'll see problems with in this case several times. Um, and the accuracy and reliability of these devices has always been coming to question. Unfortunately, these devices were just the alternative to packing people in jails and prisons during COVID-19. So this was the alternative that we were kind of left with. And so Taylor was just a part of this. A few months after Taylor's arrest, her husband Warren was also arrested on November 13, 2020 during a traffic incident. Ashwabanon police discovered 46 grams of meth. And after searching his phone, police found evidence of Warren being connected to a large drug ring. He later pled guilty to possession with intent to deliver and was sentenced to a little less than four years in prison. On social media, Warren had changed his profile picture to his own mugshot and later claimed that he was framed. Taylor also defended her husband on social media while he was in prison. Not long after, she ended up breaking the monitoring rules in January 2021 after she removed the device from her ankle. She was caught and forced to wear the monitor again. But only a month later, she was caught removing the device again. And around this time, Taylor also realized she was pregnant, supposedly with Warren's child. Court documents later claim the child was Warren's, but the time frame doesn't really add up. It isn't clear if Warren is the biological father, and the newborn would later take on Taylor's maiden name, Coronado. In June 2021, Taylor was scheduled for a court appearance for the charges against her, but she never showed up. A warrant was put out for arrest, but she showed up to court a few days later. The warrant was canceled, and she was allowed to stay out of jail on bond. Two months later, Taylor pled no contest to fleeing or eluding an officer, resisting obstructing an officer, and battery against an officer, and all other charges were dropped. She was given three years probation and three months in jail, which was later reduced to house arrest with an ankle monitor. In October 2021, after her house arrest was over, Taylor traveled to Texas to be with her paternal grandparents, and while there, she gave birth to a son she named Mateo Coronado. Child Protective Services soon took the baby, but a month later, Taylor's grandparents in Texas took Mateo into their home, and they later filed for adoption. So over these next few months, Taylor's behavior got increasingly strange. Um, keep in mind, she's on probation. Her husband is currently incarcerated and her child was recently taken away from her. So keep all those things in mind. And much of what we know about Taylor during this small time frame uh, before the murder is just her online activity. So she continued to talk about her loyalty to her incarcerated husband through social media posts. One post said, Quote, I haven't ate in two weeks. His bond money comes first. But by January 2022, something had happened. Their relationship had quickly fallen apart. One post read, double cross my loyalty. That's one thing you'll never get back. Let's play. I'm assuming he cheated somehow. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, three days later after that post, she posted, quote, I got hitched to show them my commitment, loyalty, and dedication to them that I was never going to be how I used to be. Then they turn around and fuck on me. There's no way I'll ever go into another relationship. Hashtag can't trust no one. And uh, her last post that we know of came that same day and said, quote, went off and told an addict I'll never stop buying you dope so I could sit back, watch you die. And it's not really clear who exactly yeah. she's referencing in this post, but an underlying uh, sense of violence there, I would say. 
Around the same time, too, she began searching things about Jeffrey Dahmer online. Everyone kind of searches about Jeffrey Dahmer. He's one of the biggest names in true crime, right? Um, but she was searching strange things like Jeffrey Dahmer, Jeff Boyardee, which is a meme mashup of Jeffrey Dahmer and Chef Boyardee, Jeffrey Dahmer's butt, and Jeffrey Dahmer walking all sexy into court. So these are literal Google searches. Those then. are Yeah, those are her Google searches, which were later acquired by investigators. So one, one thing that I can think of for why she might be searching this at this time period, again, this is 2022, the Netflix, Netflix series came out. Oh, exactly. So there was a ton of buzz around it. Mm -hmm. And I assume she probably watched the Netflix show and then wanted to know more or like found it. For sure. You know, That's good to note too. Then on February 12, 2020, Taylor took a selfie with her phone, which is just cringe. And on the phone Beyond screen, cringe. yeah, right? On the phone screen, she had a picture of Jeffrey Dahmer on it. You can see it. She's. It looks like she's kind of laying down and the, the phone's resting by her face and she's smiling with just an old picture of Jeffrey yeah, that's Dahmer. That's very creepy. Super weird. And only 10 days later, Taylor would go from a no-name meth addict on house arrest to one of the most infamous killers of 2022. Yeah. So caution, this is where things uh, go really bad and become very graphic. After the relationship with her husband fell apart, Taylor reconnected with her high school ex-boyfriend, Shad Therian. On the night of February 22nd, 2022, Shad decided to stay at his mother, Tara Packenick's house on Stony Brook Lane. Usually Shad lived with his father, but he would occasionally go over to his mother's place to eat and do laundry. Taylor borrowed her roommate's van and picked Shad up around 9.30 p.m. that night. She was with another friend, Alexander Gannon, who went by AJ, whom they both knew from school. The three of them bought drugs before heading to Taylor's apartment on Eastman Avenue. She was living with a 53-year-old man named Scott Thomas, and the plan was to hang out at the apartment that night and smoke weed and do some meth. A little past midnight, Taylor gave Shad a haircut and took a picture of him on her phone. AJ later reported that everything seemed fine while they were hanging out, and he left soon after. Taylor and Shad then took Trazodone together. So here's another drug at play. Trazodone is a prescription sedative and an antidepressant that can be used recreationally. Its street name is called Sleep Easy. It doesn't cause euphoria, but it produces this relaxing, calming effect. And a lot of people who take it often take it with other drugs to increase the, that effect. Um, the common ones are alcohol, ecstasy, and you can guess it, methamphetamine. It's also important to note that by now, Taylor has marijuana, meth, and trazodone in her system. Possibly more that we don't know of, but that is the concoction that she's dealing with chemically uh, at this point in the night. So as we move into the next events that happen, that is important to keep in mind is that she's clearly very, very high on multiple drugs and substances. So in the early morning hours of February 23rd, both Taylor and Shad drove Scott's van back to his mother's house and went downstairs to the basement. Neither of them saw or spoke to Tara or her boyfriend who were in the house. Tara assumed that both her son and Taylor were home because she heard Taylor's voice and saw the van on the street. Around 2.30 a.m., Tara woke up to the storm door on the side of the house slamming shut. This door was right at the top of the basement stairs, so Tara figured it was Taylor leaving the house. And a few moments later, she heard the van's engine starting out on the street and driving away. 
After getting out of bed, Tara noticed that the basement light was on, which was fairly odd. So she went downstairs to see what was going on, thinking her son Shad might have left it on. When she went down there, she didn't see him at first, so she figured he had left with Taylor. But just before heading back upstairs, she noticed a misplaced five-gallon bucket on the floor beside the bottom of the basement stairs. It was covered by a towel. Out of curiosity, Tara lifted the towel up and looked inside. And in the bottom of the bucket, resting in a pool of blood, she saw Shad's decapitated head. Can't even imagine. I mean, it was probably just surreal at in that moment. It was just like, I'm not seeing what I'm actually seeing here. Yeah. Tara then ran back upstairs and woke up her boyfriend, Steve Hendricks. When she told him what she had found, he didn't believe her. So he went downstairs and had a look for himself. And as he looked down into the bloody mess, he couldn't process what he had seen. He couldn't tell exactly what was inside the bucket, but Tara promised him that it was her son's head. That's when they called the non-emergency number. It's weird that they called the non-emergency number. I would be calling 911. Yeah, that's an interesting point to bring up. Um, He was still in denial, Tara's boyfriend. So they didn't want to like overreact because yeah, there was something he else. still thought which you'll hear in the phone call he still kind of thought that maybe she was just going through something and he he didn't really know he went down looked in the bucket and we'll see later in some clips of the trial he looked down and he thought it was like an animal sure parts or something he saw the hair and he he did see the head but i don't know it's kind of the, one of those things where you just can't process what the hell you're seeing i can imagine like because it's so horrific right yeah that'd be the last thing that you would think you would be seeing right yeah no so honestly. i can i understand how you would think that's just a dead animal in there or something in right the yeah so that's why they called the non-emergency number because he was still kind of in denial about it he thought his girlfriend was having some sort of episode let's listen to some of the audio from that call uh yes i live in officer 829 stonebrook um so i just woke me up where the next founder severed Headed over to Sunday at the base. Okay, can you repeat the address, sir? Right, 829 Smoky Road. Okay, S T O N E Y. Is it E Y? Right, yes. No E. Okay, tell me what's happening there again. I have no clue what's happening with my girl. Where is that she's found her and severed head of her son at the base? Did you go down there? No bucket. I went down, I can't tell what the fuck it. I just my leg. I'm I, I, I don't know what the hell, man. 
And you think he's hallucinating, or do you think that? I didn't think so. I went down and dumped them damn bucket. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I don't know, man. She's a little freaked out and kind of freaking me out. All right. Can I talk to her? Yes, you can. Hello. Hi, Tara. So, can you tell me what's going on? Are you positive my son's head is in a bucket? I know that it's in my basement. What, mean, what, oh. what makes you think that? Because I looked in a bucket. When, what did you see? Exactly what I noticed. Okay. Where, where's the, uh, where's the rest of the body at? No idea. When's the last time you saw your son? Um, well, it's really Wednesday, so I picked him up from his dad on Monday. And he doesn't normally stay here. He's been staying here for a few days. But I left the laundry. He was here a couple hours. Then he left with Taylor. And they... What's the Taylor? Who's that? Girl. Taylor Coronado. Which one's the last time you saw him? Well, he left with her. Those, they both came back. I believe they both asked while he was sleeping Monday night. And I assume they slept all day yesterday. So I haven't seen him since Monday night physically. I thought they were sleeping all day. I was gone for a little while yesterday, Tuesday, and he's 25, and I'm going to be a All right. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Well, we've got help. And then, I, and then I heard my door and her minivan start, and I went downstairs, and I went to the bathroom, and the lights were out of the basement. So I went, turned them off, and I looked around, and I was there. So then when I turned around to come back upstairs, I was a five-gallon bucket with a towel over it. And I'm like, oh, great. That's why they're out here all day yesterday. They were pissing in a bucket. And I looked, and that's not what was in that bucket. What is your son's name? Bacteria. It's really kind of a bizarre call. Yeah, isn't it? Because clearly the dispatcher is like, thinks that they're just like making this up or hallucinating or yeah, he's like, he can't even wrap his head around it. Right, which I almost don't even blame him. Someone calls you and they're like, I think I found my son's head in a bucket. It just sounds insane, mm-hmm. right? But yeah, he does treat her kind of strangely. Like, and it's oh. like, if that is coming out of someone's mouth, you probably should send somebody to go check in on them, whether or not it's true. Right, yeah. Just to absolutely. make sure they're okay. Because I mean, that'd be a serious hallucination yeah which i think even in we'll be watching one of the body cam uh footages from when they go down and discover it uh you can hear one of the officers radio in and he calls off you know how they have all their list of codes yeah i looked up one of the codes he mentions and he's like this is not a mental health checkup because we thought it initially right. was, it was just a for, welfare check yeah. for the the um his mother but yeah they realized it was actually serious yeah, at 3.37 a.m., two police officers showed up at their house. They walked in through the side door from the driveway, and there was still doubt that Tara had actually found her son's severed head in her basement, but the two officers would soon find out. Sadly, she wasn't lying. Here's some of that body cam footage from the officers. Oh, my God. 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 Oh, my God.
I uh, I know you're busy over there, but this is actually what it's going to be. It's not going to be a 961 thing or a 96 thing. So we're going to do more units here. So those who are listening, they basically just went down in the basement. Uh, and they're kind of in disbelief. They have to check the bucket several times because even they can't really wrap their head around what's in there. And that's pretty evident just by how calm they're being in the situation. I mean, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's not something they see every day. They definitely see, you know, gruesome crime scenes, but it's not every day you find somebody's severed head in a bucket. Right. So as they're down there kind of looking around the basement, they're doing their best not to disturb the crime scene. And, you know, they made the right call. Know, get get the higher ups involved. Get more units out there to secure the crime scene because that's what it is at this point. And they also noticed what looked like pieces of human flesh and blood on the floor near the mattress. After looking in the bucket one last time to confirm what they were seeing that it was a human head inside, the officers secured the scene. Meanwhile, a few officers were sent over to Taylor's apartment since Shad's mother confirmed that Taylor was the last person seen with her son. At around 5:11 a.m., officers arrived at the apartment. They spotted the van in the parking lot of the apartment complex and searched it with flashlights from the outside. The inside was filled with junk, including a crockpot box. They didn't know this then, but Shad's severed left leg and both thighs were inside that box. Near the front of the car, they noticed a bloody footprint in the snow. As they stood near the car, the van unlocked. Taylor had actually been washing them from her apartment building, and she unlocked the car with her key fob. She then came outside the front door of her apartment building and when one of the officers asked if she knew why they were there, she said she thought they were there for a warrant for her arrest and then admitted to removing her ankle monitor again. While they handcuffed her, they also noticed that she had blood on her hands. 
They kept Taylor on the stairs outside of her apartment while they went in to search. They found the door to her apartment open, and inside investigators discovered several cell phones, marijuana, and three syringes stuck together with an unknown substance. Blood that would later be identified as Shad's was also discovered on Taylor's apartment door and light switch, including the bloody footprint they had previously found outside. Taylor's roommate Scott Thomas then came outside where they arrested him and took both of them to the police station. While at the station, they photographed the blood and the injuries on Taylor's hands, and they also found blood on her clothing, which was later confirmed to be Shad's. She changed into a yellow jumpsuit before detectives brought her into an interview room where they asked her some questions. After they read off her rights, they questioned her for about six hours with a few breaks in between. Taylor was surprisingly cooperative and calm throughout the interviews. When they first asked her what had happened, she said she didn't know. She just claimed that she had quote-unquote blacked out. She told them how she and Shad had been using meth, which she called, quote, the shit. And she also admitted that once they got back to Shad's mom's house, he put a choke chain around his neck so she could choke him, which they had done before. Here's some different interview clips we'd like you to see. And just a forewarning, the audio isn't great, so we'll put subtitles underneath to help you follow along. I think so. Have you done it before? Yeah. 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 He likes it. Have you used what we call props in the past? Yes. What? One thing, dildo. Dad, or rope, or chain, or underwear, or anything. <clears throat> yeah. That I, I, I shot the dildo in ass and mouth. In the past, or just recently? When he was there, when he was on the bed. Yeah. The chain goes around his neck and starts choking him. Then you just realize that he was going to die or what? I'm just like, shit. I think I went a little too far. It was like, like I, I was blacking out while I was doing it, right? And then I thought, and then like, I look at him, I'm like, shit, he's already purple. I'm like, fuck him. I'm like, I don't know if he's fucking, is he good? Is he good? But then like when I woke up, like, no, like during the black, I'm like, shit. Like he was coughing up blood. I'm like, I don't know, I just kept on going. I, then, mm-hmm. You made the comment, you said that when you were joking, you were coughing up blood, you kind of were like, oh, I'm going this far, I'm just going to keep going. Did you realize that by continuing that, that made you home? Oh, yeah, because I felt bad that he's like, because I'm like, damn, he's going to be using that bit or something. So you realize that by continuing that, you may, you may actually feel like that. He was, I swear to God, he was telling me just to like, so I'm like, oh, and I did it. Come okay. on. Gosh. So you and Shad went back to uh, Shad's mom's house. Did, how'd you get in? Did you see if was anybody home? No, it's not. What time do you think this was? Did, was anybody home? Did you be telling anybody? I understand his mom lives Tara. there. Tara. Tara. Grandma. Is that the mom's name? Yes. Damn, I can't, yeah. Yeah, I can't believe I left that. What would you do with the body? The body's there. Okay. Yeah. So. Are we going to take the hits on one? All right. 
We liked it. Well, you're gonna have fun trying to lose all the organs, but um, yeah, there's, they're all dismembered. Okay. Yeah. So you dismember the body too? Yeah. Well, what do you do with the body parts? Oh, they're, um, they're Someone? They're like, um, yeah. Yeah. Basement, upstairs, Absolutely in the basement. I was gonna bring them like that. And then, um, I know I forgot the head. I wanted the head. Did you bring anything with you? It's in the van. What? It's in the van. It's, um, what is it? What is it? A foot, maybe. The what? I think it's a foot. A foot? A leg, a leg maybe. Uh-huh. I just, I'm like, I'm going to bring it all, and then I'm like, man, it's messy, so I don't know how like it. I got lazy. Okay. I got lazy, and that's what I did, so I'm like, okay. So it's going to be, give you a foot or a leg in the van. And then, um, yeah, what did you do with the head? I forgot that that was in the van, so, uh, yeah. What did you do with the head? The head, I put it in that bucket, that black bucket. Black bucket? With the blanket on top. Okay. And then we're just going to leave it. Leave the head? It's still in the bucket. It's right by the stairs. By the stairs? Yeah. Okay. But... But when did you start, you know, cutting up his body? I don't know, like almost right away. I was sucking and cutting at the same time. But what about the rest of his body parts? Did that take all day? Did you? I was getting pissed off by the dismemberment process. Did it take a while? Did it take a while? Yeah, because like I was nodding out. I was nodding out. Okay, so you're kind of sitting, kind of nodding and out. Mm-hmm. Have you taken any other drugs? So, I feel like it took drastic. That probably would have helped, but I didn't. And I just sat there. Yeah. Do you remember um, the daylight at all? Yeah, when I looked at the window and I seen the daylight. And, and was his body together still then? Or? I thought it was not that better. It's just like, huh. I had a phone with him for that two hours and then boom. So, but it took a while to cut the rest of the body up? All messed up too. So, I, hmm? I grind it on. I put the dick in there. You grind it on. Yeah. And then, did you ever put his penis in your vagina? No. Okay, you just grind on. Yeah. You should be ordered to perform the ball on him. Yeah. Okay. Now it's after you yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then he got mad because he was like, I have part while I was still fucking while I was there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And was that part of playing with him or? That is part of playing with him. How part of playing with him? Did you? Actually, I was just mad. I was severing his head while I was doing it. Just, oh, just so vile. Yeah. God, uh, the way she's so she's just talking about it so nonchalantly too. Yeah, it's disgusting. Um, and she's talking about how she should have done more drugs during it too. It's just like what what is going through your mind right now? So it's obvious too that by the next morning when this interrogation is taking place, that the, she's like, oh, come off the drugs at that point, at least off the high of them. This was a controversial point in the trial. They 
the defense made the argument that she's still on drugs during because it's in her system but it is i mean this has been quite a while after yeah and the interview process did take like six hours so there's argument both ways if she's still under the influence or yeah, not i don't know that seems like a weak argument to me i mean she's very lucid and for somebody who claims to have blacked out she clearly remembers everything that she did down to the details yeah the judge uses uses that exact terminology lucid during that so it's like even if she is on drugs she's still very coherent and lucid and knows what she's saying right um but because there was a lot of back and forth if you want to go check out the footage of the interviews um help yourself that it's very long there's a lot of footage so we just took some of the core elements but i'll basically sum up her confession in chronological order just to help everybody out she's basically reenacting jeffrey dahmer yes yeah exactly and the fact that she wanted the head too isn't that very mm -hmm. dahmer-esque too mm -hmm. but she forgot it what's it's like what's going on there so shad and taylor they went down to his mother's basement to hook up they put a dog's choke chain around Shad's neck while she choked him and performed sexual acts. Once she started to see that he was dying, she claimed that she found it satisfying, so she continued to choke him. He even tried to resist and fight back at one point, but she kept on choking him. She admitted that she was excited because she could feel his heartbeat slowing, and it took about three to five minutes to kill Shad. She then sexually assaulted his body, performing oral sex and using the dildo on him, as she claims, all while mutilating his corpse as well. She then used a blue storage container that she had found in the basement to collect the blood as she dismembered the body with several kitchen knives that she had found upstairs. Um, if you remember when they made that phone call to police, they even mentioned that she had come upstairs a few times because she thought they, they thought she was using the restroom, but it was more likely that she was grabbing the kitchen knives to dismember Shad's body. She then emptied the blood down the basement drain, which was near a shower. While dismembering the rest of the body, she claimed she had dozed off several times from the drug use, but still continued to perform sexual acts. She then used bags and boxes around the basement she found to store his body parts in. The plan was to bring all the body parts with her, but Somewhere along the way, she became, quote, lazy and paranoid, she said, and she forgot the head. She placed Chad's head in the bucket to save it for later. Um, but she only, in the end, she only ended up taking his left leg, his left thigh, and his right thigh that she stored in that crockpot box that the police even saw in the back of her van or her roommate's van. And this entire time, she most likely had meth, weed, and trazodone in her system. And like I said earlier, there's still some arguments whether she was under the influence or not during these police interviews. But I think we can both agree on she's very lucid. It sounds like she knows what she's saying. She sounds maybe a bit stupid, but she doesn't sound uh, incoherent. No, and she's having emotional reactions to them. Right. And definitely not in a remorseful way. No, but, she's but like laughing and, and yeah, and acting like she enjoyed it. And yeah, she's bummed that she forgot the body parts. She was like, Oh, I, I forgot that. Like, she's bummed about that. So, yeah, very sick. But after the interview, Taylor was taken to the hospital to get stitches for self inflicted wounds on her hands, where she accidentally cut herself while dismembering Shad. Back at the station, she answered a few more questions to confirm what she had previously told them. And then the officers told her she was going to jail which somehow surprised her. 
In response to her surprise, a detective then asked her a hypothetical question. He asked that shouldn't a person who murdered and dismembered someone go to jail? And Taylor responded, oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, that shit is fucked up. So like, I don't even know. Like, goddamn. During the interviews, investigators were searching for Shad's remains in the basement of his mother's house. Bloodstains were found on a pillow, the mattress, and underneath the bed where it looked like it had been cleaned up. They also found blood near the shower drain, which also had signs of cleaning. Near a Pac-Man arcade machine, investigators found a dog choke collar. And inside a box in a wood cabinet against the wall, they found a flesh-covered dildo. The dildo was later tested for Shad's DNA, but the results came back inconclusive. After searching through the five-gallon bucket, they discovered that Shad's head and blood weren't the only things inside. There was also a kitchen steak knife, a pocket knife, a jelly rancher, a metal nail, a shaving razor, and Shad's genitals. Detectives also found body parts inside a pink and black Under Armour backpack, and some of the parts were wrapped in plastic shopping bags, but others weren't. They also found body parts in a blue storage bin on the floor covered with a blanket and clothes. Inside was a carving knife and several organs. Shad's upper torso, along with his arms that were still attached, were also found inside the storage bin. Other body parts were also found in a blue duffel bag on a dresser in the basement. Beside the bag were bloody Lysol wipes that looked like they had been used to clean up the crime scene, and next to the wipes were three kitchen knives. One of the kitchen knives had once been serrated, but it was now dull. The paring knife was bent, and the steak knife's tip was broken. The metal tip was later found inside one of the body parts, and on the same dresser, they found another dog choke chain. Beside it was a glass pipe and a bag with 21 grams of meth inside. When medical examiner Dr. Vincent Tranchita later inspected the head, he noticed physical signs of strangulation, including injury to the neck muscles and blood vessels in the face. There was also chain impressions found on the tongue. As for the torso, he discovered the back was flayed and defleshed. The skin and muscles were so damaged that the rib cage was visible. The only things that investigators couldn't find were both thighs and the left leg. So now they continued their search in the van Taylor had been driving, which was now impounded at the police garage. And it didn't take them very long after searching again that they immediately discovered both of Shad's thighs and his left leg inside that crockpot box in the passenger seat. On March 1st, 2022, they charged Taylor with first-degree murder, third-degree sexual assault, and mutilating a corpse. After being charged, she had a bond hearing and requested a lawyer. It was mentioned that she had previously removed her ankle monitor and she was a potential flight risk to Texas, where her son was, so she was being held on a $2 million cash bond. She was then given the choice of two public defense attorneys, Quinn Jolly and Heather Richmond. Quinn quickly requested a competency evaluation for Taylor since she struggled with choosing a lawyer and understanding the court processes. Judge Thomas Walsh later approved her competency evaluation. Heather Richmond later dropped out of the case and Quinn Jolly was left as Taylor's only option for a defense attorney. At a mental health facility, Taylor was evaluated by a state psychologist and she was deemed competent to stand trial. But this was only the beginning of several more evaluations that Taylor would need over the next several months. Another psychiatrist chosen by the defense acknowledged that Taylor had substance abuse problems but also agreed that she was competent. Defense attorneys then tried to have Taylor's statements at the time of her arrest thrown out, arguing that she was still under the influence of drugs at the time. They also tried to get the sexual assault charges dropped, arguing that the deceased had already had his genitals dismembered, but a judge denied the motion. Several more hearings were held over the next several months, but even while incarcerated, Taylor's strange behavior stayed the same. 
During one hearing, a judge announced that he would push back Taylor's trial date. Taylor then stood up and attacked her own defense attorney. Luckily, her hands were handcuffed, but she was able to throw an elbow several times. A sheriff's deputy then wrestled her to the ground with some help, and they even had to evacuate the courtroom soon after. The reason they evacuated, they thought it was actually like a legitimate security risk, was I guess she had gotten her foot inside the sheriff's belt, like where possibly where his holster was. So some think that she was actually trying to go for his firearm or something like that. Um, so it was actually a, a big issue. Yeah, she's just unhinged, right? And this is when she's sober, right? As far as we know, this is when she's sober. And uh, do you think it's a an attempt to try and seem insane? That's a great point. Yep, that's exactly what I thought too. Just randomly freak out. Mm-hmm. It's a good show. I mean, this poor defense attorney, I mean, he's like, hell man i'm trying to help you and you're over here attacking me right and soon after this he was removed as her attorney and replaced by christopher Froilich. her trial was later set to begin in july 2023 and the defense argued that taylor deserved another competency hearing since the last one was eight months ago and the murder had occurred more than a year ago another competency hearing was granted by judge thomas walsh the defense appointed forensic psychologist dr diane Litton tried to interview taylor three times but she refused to talk And at one point during one of those evaluations, Taylor even threw a plastic chair at her. But after months, Diane was finally able to sit down and speak with her. She later testified that Taylor, quote unquote, showed signs of an active psychotic disorder and was not competent for trial. But then a court-ordered psychologist, Dr. Matthew Seipel, testified that Taylor was competent to stand trial, which this is like so confusing. Why are they going back and forth? Yeah, I think the defense is really trying to get her they're just like, keep sending him in until yeah. somebody says that she's not competent in mm-hmm. trial. I mean, what other strategy do they have in this? Yeah, it's other than- so clearly she's guilty. So I think they're just grasping for this. This is their last shot. But luckily, the court finally proceeded with jury selection and moved forward with the trial. Taylor's trial began on July 24th, 2023, and she submitted two pleas of not guilty and not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. We're going to go in and play some moments from the trial because this is uh, it's a pretty pretty extensive trial. So we just found some uh, sort of highlight clips from it to show you to kind of give you a good sense of of what that was like. That's how she put it. I found my son's head in a bucket, so I'm dumbfounded. Didn't believe her. Thought she was having a mental issue or something she go downstairs and see what the hell she's talking about and uh, I can't see anything so uh, we go back upstairs and contemplate what the heck to do um, so what, I guess what do you do specifically when you go downstairs um, I went to the basement and observed the bucket that she said but I, I, I don't know my mind blocked it out but all I seen was like hair like an animal or so i didn't know what the heck so this next one is the medical examiner testimony had you ever seen anything like this before in your experience i have seen mutilation um but nothing to this extent before never saw a head in the bucket correct correct after you looked at the bucket and the contents of the bucket did you pronounce death then or yes 
Okay. What was the time of death? Um, I would have to check my report. Was it sometime after 11 a.m.? Yes. Um, did you know of any other concerns that were in the basement after you looked at the bucket? Um, I was notified that um, they suspected that there were human remains in other um, receptacles or other containers within the, the basement. So this next clip is a... Uh... This just shows you how unhinged Taylor is. She actually starts laughing during this one while Alexander Gannon is testifying. Basically, I went over to the apartments and um, when specifically uh, when I got there, I was we were just chilling, chopping it up like how we always do. And uh, basically... Um, I was like, Taylor was thinking, asking like, do you want to, do you want to hang out with Shad? She was asking me like for consent to hang out with Shad, to, like to bring him over. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's cool. Okay. And so, um, could I, could I stop you right there? I'm sorry. I just have a quick question. Um, so when you were said you were at the apartment was, which apartment is this? The Eastman, the Metal Beauty East apartments. Okay. Is that kind of where you you thought Taylor was staying or, or whose apartment was it? It was um it it was the same apartments that um I I lived there. So um it was like I'm I'm sorry, what? Sure. So the apartment is on Eastman that you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. And I'm sorry I interrupted. You were with um Taylor and then she brought up hanging out with Shad? Yeah. I don't know. A strange choice of words. He says chopping it up as in like hanging Yeah. Out. And I, I don't know if he was trying to get a rise out of her or something because he almost, I've seen that clip like three times by now, but he almost kind of looks over at her like yeah, smirking like, a little bit when he says that. It's like they're clearly Taylor thought this. it was funny. Yeah. Um, this next one's Detective David Graff's testimony. Um, he was also the main interrogator that we saw earlier. Yes, she stated that she used um, knives that she obtained from the kitchen of the residence. Did she was she able to describe to you where those knives would be located in the basement? Yes, she described that the knives would be um, in the same um, package or the bags that um, the body parts were also located. And again, is that consistent with what investigators were finding on scene? Yes. In addition to the dismemberment, did Ms. Shabiznis discuss with you anything else that she did with Chad's body after she had killed him? Yes, she did. And what was that? Uh, she described um, how she had sexual contact um, with the body in terms of um, playing with his penis. Also, she described that she had a dildo that she placed into um, Chad's mouth and to his anus. And that she uh, also um, had cuddled the body. Did she discuss performing oral sex on Chad? That's correct. Did she indicate about how long she had cuddled or played with Chad's body? Uh, she indicated that, um, you know, it was, I don't exactly recall how long of a period of time, but there was a period of time, um, I believe shortly before, or and or after um, the start of dismemberment. 
Did she discuss uh, with you what her intention was with respect to Shad's head? One of the first things that she did say was that um, she did uh, like the head and that it was her intent to take the head as well as the genitalia that was in the bucket with her. Um, that's why she specifically placed those items in the bucket. Um, but she did mention that she had um, left the bucket by the stairs. Um, and uh, I don't know if she intentionally wanted to do that, but there was talk that it was her intent to um, take the head and the uh, genitalia with her. So moving on, we're going to play a clip of Taylor's father, Arturo, testifying. To give a little context, you'll see that her father is in an orange jumpsuit and handcuffs. Um, just a note, he was incarcerated in 2018 after he was found guilty of second-degree sexual assault of a child under the age of 16, and he was sentenced to 12 years in prison and 18 years of supervision. So... Before the baby was born, was she um, placed at Nicolay Psychiatric Center? Before the baby was born? Yeah. Possibly. Okay. Did you see her at the uh, Nicolay Psychiatric Center? Oh, she was yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It's just so through, much going on. Um, it's through Brown County. Yeah, I, I went to uh, take her there myself, actually. Okay. Why did you and take her there? She just wasn't in the right state of mind. Was she suicidal? I probably was she psychotic? I Objection. Guess I, I don't think this witness has the ability to answer that question. Rephrase the question. Okay. Was she um, experiencing like hallucinations? She just, things? yeah, she wasn't, she was not in a right state of mind at all. So I feared that she would hurt herself. So that's why I took her. We both agreed. We both went there together okay. and, and tried to get help. And, um, and then ended up, ended up, uh, uh, releasing her and she came home and that was about it. Okay. Was she prescribed some medications and things like that? Uh, she was at, at uh, that evening. No, but yeah, she has been on uh, some medications that she didn't, she never liked taking those pills. I mean, they kind of messed her up even worse. Did they cause her to hallucinate or cause her to have, I think it problems? all started, it all started with a Seroquel that was taken, you know, back, you know, I don't understand too much about uh, those uh, prescription drugs, but they never agreed with her at all. Okay. And do you know the other medications that she was asked to take? Uh, ADHD, uh, Adderall, I believe. Anything about Haldol? I don't know. Okay. But I know she was prescribed some stuff, but I don't know the names. Okay. Did you talk to some of the uh, doctors or psychiatrists at the Nicolay Psychiatric Facility? I, I'm going to object. I think this witness can offer his observations and the facts that he's aware of from what he observed in Ms. business with respect to what he learned from doctors about her mental health conditions. We have professionals who are going to answer questions based on the, on the records. Those people are better equipped to answer those questions. The information he received from doctors is hearsay. Uh, it's not hearsay. I didn't ask what they said. I just asked if you talked to the doctors or are. So the question that's pending isn't asking for hearsay. I think the objection was made because it sounds like that's where we're headed. So um, he can answer the question that was just asked. And then um, I'll just indicate, Mr. Fairlick, that objection is probably coming if you go the next step. But the question that's pending can be answered. So I think the question was, did you talk to anybody at Nicolay? 
I did. Okay. Ask another question. Okay. Um, did Taylor live with you in, in Green Bay for a while? For a little bit, yeah. Was that in 2021 or what year was it? I believe so, yeah. But okay. uh, again, uh, speaking to them and, you know, her being an adult, they really, even being a father, weren't allowed to disclose anything. Right. You know. Sure. Uh, when she lived with you, sir, what address did she live with you at? 1130 Moraine Way. And how long did she live with you? Just a few months. Did you ever, did it ever come to a point where you didn't want her to stay there anymore because her behaviors were getting worse or her mental status was getting worse? No. I love my daughter, so I'll do whatever it takes to help her out. Did you ever review any of her uh, records at all? Objection. I don't think he can testify to the content. Again, I think it's the same objection. He can answer whether he reviewed them. He can't answer anything about the content of the record. Your Honor, the state, what they're trying to do is they're trying to anticipate an objection. They know this one is not an objectionable one, in my opinion. And any good parent, when you go to the doctor, you're going to talk with the, the physician or the psychologist or whoever it is um, about the status of your child. So uh, I'm just yeah. asking that. It's not like I didn't try. I, you know, I tried to talk with her. Wait. So I'm going, to, I'm going to overrule the objection at this point, and the question can be asked. Mr. Freilich, why don't you ask it again so the witness has it in his mind? Okay, Your Honor. Kind of forgot, so hopefully the... Did you review some of the records of your daughter? Did uh, you review any of the records? Like at the at the facility? Yes. Um, again, she was an adult at the time, and I can't, you know... Yeah, the answer she was, was no, she was, Mr. When she was living um, at your house, sir, on Moraine Way, was she ever experiencing or um, experiencing any hallucinations or anything like, like that? Um, uh, yeah. Can you tell me about that? Uh, just know that she wasn't in the right frame of mind. You know, she, you know, kind of see things. She liked to walk around, and you know, we take a walk, cemetery, just right down the street, <laughs> but. Um, she just needed, you know, just to kind of get out and walk around and, I guess, ease her mind. You'd see a lot of objections being thrown when they want to talk about her mental health with people who aren't professionals, you know, which I think is interesting. Um, and also, this is a good reflection of... Well, again, how- I think uh, her defense attorney is really trying to, you know point out that she's been mentally ill for a long time yeah and it's pretty serious especially based on the drug she's been prescribed so i think he's real i mean he's clearly leaning into that defense for her yeah and And at the same time it's kind of a reflection of how little her dad knew mm -hmm. like about what was going on who knows i can't really say how little he was involved with it but it sounds like I don't, I don't know. He it just didn't. He's just like, oh, she wasn't in the right frame of mind, and that's the extent, the extent that, of his understanding. Yeah. Which, like, I can get that just from. I've never even met the woman, but I can know that she's not in the right frame of mind for a lot of this. Even just uh, sitting her, like, even just watching her sit there, you can kind of see she's making these weird smirks, and she seems a little dazed and stuff. But, um, yeah, it seems like he just didn't know. What was going on so i wonder if her support system 
through her family wasn't that great either. Uh, this last one, um, this is about her drug use, especially with her husband. And this is also uh, her father speaking. Yeah, and she was doing really well there too until her uh, orphan slash husband got out of jail. That turned everything upside down. Yeah. In part because of the methamphetamine use, right? Yep. Um, so Taylor was doing pretty well and then she started using the drugs. No further questions. It's pretty bad drug, too. Anything uh, on that, Mr. Freilich? What was the drug? The meth, meth, heroin, whatever else. I don't know. Marijuana? I don't know. The kid was already doing that shit before, and. Just a fucking loser, and he got my daughter involved in that shit. Okay. Thank you, sir. Nothing else. So after only a three-day trial and 30 minutes of deliberation, uh, the jury found Taylor Shabiznes guilty on all counts. So for the next phase, it was the responsibility phase of the trial, and a defense psychologist claimed that Shabiznes was not criminally responsible for her actions because she had a severe bipolar disorder. He also argued that this disorder rendered her unable to appreciate the wrongfulness of her actions and deprived her of volitional control. But two court-appointed psychologists who testified for the state said her actions were fueled by drugs, which made her ineligible for the insanity plea under Wisconsin's definition of a mental disease or defect. They also referenced her acts of, one, dismembering Shad's body and cleaning the basement crime scene as evidence that she knew what she was doing was wrong. I agree with that. Yep, I think that does show she knows... I got to hide this. I got to clean it up. Right. Yep. Um, there was evidence, you know, by the mattress. There was also evidence of cleaning near the shower drain. The Lysol wipes. Yep. The Lysol wipes that were there that were used. Taylor's attorney argued that the drugs may have compounded her psychosis and there was enough evidence that she suffered from a longstanding disorder affecting her actions going back to her childhood, which we were just talking about, which seems to be the angle that the defense was trying to dig their heels into. But in the end, after the jury deliberated for an hour, they returned a unanimous verdict that Taylor did not have a mental disease or defect at the time of the murder that impacted her knowing right from wrong. And so then she went on to her sentencing. On September 26, 2023, she appeared in court for her sentencing. She had actually spit on inmates during her time in jail. So in this footage you're about to see, she's wearing a spit guard in court. To try and not get Taylor the maximum sentence, Taylor's attorney brought forth two of Taylor's family members to make final statements, Taylor's grandmother, who was in the process of adopting Taylor's son, and Taylor's father, who is currently incarcerated. Taylor's father emphasized that her behavior was affected by drug abuse and that the system had failed her. The defense also brought a toxicologist, James O'Donnell, to the stand to explain how excessive drug abuse affected Taylor over the years and on the night of the murder. Let's take a look at those clips. Methamphetamine is highly addictive. Is that fair? Extremely highly addictive. One of the most addictive drugs that we know. Can, based on your training and experience and knowledge, um, can methamphetamine use uh, cause hallucinations, visual or auditory? Yes, both the form it's 
it's, they can cause a form of drug-induced psychosis. What is psychosis? Psychosis, the easiest way to describe it is a loss of touch with reality. Delusion? Uh, delusions um, includes hallucinations, uh, just the loss of touch makes what they do makes no sense what they say makes no sense uh, they're not reason with their to use an old term they're out of it um, just before she was sentenced there were two impact statements made by the court here are two clips one is of Shad's uncle and the other one is Shad's father who are both speaking to Taylor uh Taylor, I just wanted to say that uh, I forgive you for what you've done to my son. And uh, yeah, you made a bad choice and now you have to live with it. Uh, but you know, I'm going to miss Shad. He, he, was a, he was a wonderful child too. He, growing up, just mild-mannered and just happy and and uh, I know you made a bad choice and and uh, like I said, I forgive you, and and I'm going to ask Judge if he can, you know, if she can see the streets again sometime, you know. It, it may not be soon, but uh, I believe I believe everybody uh, makes bad choices, and maybe not to the scale, but uh, I think there's a lot of hope for you. I think. You know, you can make use of your time and be a better person and uh, do great things yet, you know. So it does no good for me to hate you, you know. Uh, I know I know you got a heart. I know you got a mind. And uh, I wish you no harm. And I, and I hope things, I hope things go well for you. That's all I got to say. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Wow. That is, that takes a lot of, of guts to, to, to get there and have that mindset. It's so powerful. Not letting hate and anger consume you like that. He seems pretty level headed. And I think I do think it's wishful thinking though. Yeah. I'm not understands with good intent, but I don't, I don't, I don't see any, bit of remorse in her eyes at all yeah i don't i wouldn't want to see her back out on the i wouldn't either um but i do like the sentiment and just that level of zen that he holds uh, because i couldn't imagine the thoughts that would be going through my brain if i were in his shoes yeah, i don't think i could ever get to that and this this next sentiment through uh shad's uncle i think a lot of people will also resonate with i basically just wanted to say that there's no excuse for what you've done, I don't care if it's drugs or upbringing, you know. We all go through hard times growing up, at least the majority of us have. You have the opportunity to change that. You have the opportunity to, you know, see that you have a problem. There's, you know, I've been in recovery a little over three years. In AA, I drank for 41 years. I realized I had a problem. Um, so there's just basically to me you took the easy way out that's uh 
You're the most cowardly, weakest thing that you can do possibly. You know, you meet a person in school, you say he's your friend, you become friends, you got girlfriend, boyfriend, lovers, gain his trust. An innocent person that's very kind would do anything for you. And I believe you used that and you had this plan and took your opportunity when you did. There's no excuse, you know, I don't see it no other way. Um, to take advantage of someone's kindness like that, that's like the most. Stuck poop can make thin women feel plus sized. To have the best Stuck poop of poop. your life, you don't Jesus need fiber, Christ. you don't have to sit in some. Fucking hell. YouTube really doesn't know how to curate their ads here. Go back a little bit. Advantage of someone's kindness like that. That's like the most irritating thing for me. You know, you get to know somebody, they trust you, and then you do that. Say that you you say that you're a friend, you're his friend, you said that in the statements. It's like, man. But, you know, I walked into a program and it's free. You know, you can go get help and it's free. All over the place there's help. And it doesn't cost a dime, you know. It's either, and the first thing they tell you in there, you know, you want to continue doing what you're doing. It's going to be jails, institution, or death. And you chose that path and you chose the wrong path. They sit here talking about being rehabilitated. Is, is, is Shad's mother going to ever rehabilitate from this? No, but you can go to an institution. You can go to prison and try to be really rehabilitated, but I don't see no reason why you have parole after the doctor had just mentioned once you have so much damage, it's irreversible. You know, so why would we? Don't make no sense to me even to have the option of parole to come back and gain someone's trust like that again. Because you know, that is like the lowest thing a person could do. You know what I mean? I just don't understand that. And the biggest thing is, you know, it, like I said, you know, the help is free and it's there. You chose not to take, you know, yeah, I'm sure you knew you had a problem. You know, you can't blame it on childhood. You know, there's help out there. And if you take the path to go and get the help, he wouldn't be in this situation right now. None of us would be in this situation. But to take the cowardly path that you did and to make other people suffer because you are suffering is pretty shitty. So that name Taylor Ship Business fits you well. Now, I'm not a praying man, but after Judge Walsh here sentences today, I will pray that you meet the same fate as your Idolistic Jeffrey Dahmer. So have a good life, shit business. I have to say, I, I resonate more with Chad's uncle there. Yeah, I, I maybe think, um, you know, maybe that says something about about my character. But I think cathartically, I, I that resonates more with me. But I wish I could act tap into whatever his dad was yeah. was getting on. Again, I don't think any of us can really say one way or another unless we were in that situation, yeah, how um, we would feel. So it's just all speculative. But yeah, true. I just, you know, from this side, I just couldn't see myself, especially 
with somebody like her wanting to forgive them. Yeah. But then again, I don't know how, how you would mentally process that and how you'd be able to move past it if you didn't forgive. Yeah. I, I know here's the, here's the old Catholic coming through here, but forgiveness, like they always said that forgiveness, which who knows, maybe his father was a, a Catholic Christian man, but they do say forgiveness is more about healing yourself than it is, uh, saying that everything's okay. You know, it's not okay, but I forgive you so that I can heal on my own personal journey. So maybe it's more like that, but yeah, I, I have, this case is so rancid. I, I can't even, I still can't wrap my head around it. And I don't know, that would be so tough to come to terms with forgiving her, but we'll see uh, in the sentencing. We'll, yeah. the, the judge, judge has, is interesting in this yeah. case. Cause he's a, uh, He's a very soft-spoken judge. Yeah, he is. He and seems intelligent, though. I like the way he speaks. He really seems to have like processed everything that happened in this case when he goes and and uh, makes his judgment for Taylor's sentence. Um, he did ask her if she wanted to, you know, address the court, and she declined. Which to me that says a lot about the person. In Judge Walsh's final statement, he believed that Taylor had family members who loved her and that she truly loved her son and that her drug use had severely impacted her life. And yeah, I haven't heard a lot of judges kind of speak the way that Judge Walsh does. So let's let's hear from Judge Walsh. Um, I was a little bit uh, put off by statement that I read in the pre-sentence investigation report, frankly, from from uh, her father. Uh, he said on page 17 of that report, I feel like the system could have helped Taylor and kind of failed her as well. And I reflected on that because um, it's difficult to understand who people refer to when they say the system fails people. I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty exhausted. Uh, to understand who people refer to when they say the system fails people. Um, because you know what? It's not the job of the system to raise people's children. The system tries to do that. The system is, is not perfect. Like our fight against methamphetamine is not perfect, but we carry the fight on. Um, people in our community uh, get into the system, be that the court system or the, or the, uh, the system dealing with child protection. Uh, really, I think what they're referring to, I, I don't know, but it seems to be the government. The government needs to come in and do more to take care of people who have gone astray. And I'm not sure that that's the case. Nonetheless, attempts are made. Um, attempts are being made in this courthouse every day. And to suggest that somehow it's the system that failed. It always surprises me a little bit when people come into court. They're coming in in a orange jumpsuit and and uh, and chains to suggest that it's the system that's failed my daughter. Um, there's a certain irony in that. There really is. Um, and and it and it disturbed me when I read that piece. I'm not so sure it's really relevant to to um, what should happen to Miss Business, but it was relevant to to what I heard. Uh, from this witness here today, um, because I, I think the system does the best it can. It's it's imperfect, and um, and it has all, very much to do with the amount of resources that that the public wants to put into the system, and um, that's the those resources are finite. But as I say, in this building, uh, the system 
is doing everything it can to fight drug use, all of our treatment courts, with everything we do, uh, to try to help push back the plague of, of drug use that's occurred and that we've heard so much about in this case. Um, so I, I, I read that statement. I, I heard from uh, Mr. Business's father. He is coming in here um, to, to talk about his daughter, who's who's also going through the system. And I couldn't help but think of everything I heard about Mr. Business's son. Because it seems to be a cycle. It seems to be just a circle. It's coming around again. So that if, if he ever finds himself in the situation that his mother finds himself in, where she's the only one he's got left to come in and speak for him, um, again, I guess it's, it's the system that's done something, but, but, um, it all starts, frankly, at, at, uh, somebody's home and, uh, what they have to offer to their children. Um, and, um, and so anyways, I reflect on that, but I'm also convinced that, you know, no one is responsible for, for where they come from, but you are responsible for where you're going. So there's a lot of tragedy that has occurred in Mr. Business's life. There really is. Um, I've already reflected on some of that. Um, and it almost seems as if you could, you could apply the, the phrase, she never had a chance to miss your business. Um, and, um, but as I said, you're not responsible for, for where you come from, but you are responsible for the choices you make about where you're going. Um, but all of those things I reflect on when I consider the character of this defendant. Next, I move on to the gravity of the offense. And I sit in this uh, chair often and I address situations where people have been, um, have lost their lives or people have been violated, uh, terribly. Um, and I, and I always indicate that really the offense, the offense in this case can't be overstated. Um, and that seems very appropriate to say that in most cases, um, when there's been such a, a death or a violation. But in this case, it seems different. Um, in this case, you seem to run out of superlatives when describing what happened in this case. You, you really do. The list of superlatives don't seem to measure up to what you, what you see and what you, what you hear about. Um, and what we heard about in the trial, um, this crime offends human decency. It offends human dignity and it offends the human community. It really does. When someone loses their life needlessly, it's tragic. It, it really is. Um, it's tragic for family and friends and community. Um, when life is taken by a, uh, from a person in the fashion that it was in this case, where the victim's remains are, are cut up and packaged in containers, it's difficult to identify a human nature in those activities. It, it really is. Um, it's, it's very troubling. Um, it's difficult to recognize the general belonging that most people have for their community. It's difficult to recognize community in anything that, that happened in this case. Um, this is a small community that we live in, uh, where the, uh, where the web of relationships almost, you know, encompass everyone who lives, uh, who lives here such that people look out for each other and, and, uh, care when something bad happens to, uh, to one of our members. Um, and in a broader sense, um, the community we exist in is the human community, as I've reflected on, and these actions are foreign to all of that uh, to all that community, um, and they shock the community beyond the ability to adequately express 
in words. They, they really do. Um, and that's the gravity of this offense. That is the gravity of this offense. Uh, there aren't, there aren't superlatives for it. There aren't really words for it. Um, you can get a sense of it. Uh, you can get a sense of it and a feel for it, but there's no really way to express the gravity of this offense. It's the decision of this court and the judgment of the law uh, that Ms. Shabizis be uh, be sentenced as follows. As to uh, in 22 CF uh, 363, count one, that's the first degree intentional homicide as a repeater. It's a class A felony. I'm going to impose uh, life imprisonment without the, without the possibility of extended supervision. I believe that's appropriate in light of the findings that I've already made. As far as uh, count two, uh, mutilation of a corpse as a repeater, a class F felony, I'm going to adopt the recommendation of the pre-sentence investigation writer, um, 7.5 years of initial confinement followed by four years of extended supervision. That'll be consecutive to count one. As far as um, count three, third degree sexual assault as a repeater, class G felony. Uh, I'm going to impose three years of uh, initial confinement followed by four years of extended supervision. That will be consecutive to uh, count two and uh, count one. As far as the revocation cases, I'm going to impose one year uh, of incarceration on each of those counts. Those will run concurrent uh, to the other offenses. I've reviewed, uh, as I've indicated, reviewed both of the pre-sentence investigation reports. There's certainly valuable things in them. I'm going to, as conditions of supervision, I'm going to require no contact with the victim's family, um, maintain absolute sobriety, uh, complete uh, SOT assessment and treatment follow-through, obtain and maintain full-time employment. Um, To the extent there's ever supervision, GPS monitoring, I'm going to require an AOD assessment follow-through, psychological evaluation and follow-through. Uh, the recommendations that are contained in the pre-sentence investigation report submitted by the defense um, indicates or suggests that there be services engaged in for substance abuse and other uh, mental health issues. That's a reasonable suggestion, um, and I think I've encompassed it in the recommendations that I've made, which is there needs to be a compass evaluation and follow-through with any uh, treatment recommendations that are proposed. But again, an AODA assessment and follow-through and, and psychological evaluation so that Ms. Business can get the help that she needs um, while she uh, serves the sentence. I can't really argue with that sentence. Can. No, yeah. no, I think that's the, there's no death penalty in Wisconsin. So yeah, I think that's about as serious of a punishment as you can hand out. Yeah. And I liked how he basically described the gravity of the crime as in like, you can't even describe it. It's, it's so abhorrent that you, you can't even find the words for it. And I think, uh, that definitely resonated with me. But wow, um, she is appealing her sentence. Uh, oh, is she? Of course, gonna, she is. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they always do. Yeah, but yeah, I hope after everything that her child Mateo is in good hands with her grandparents. Hopefully, yeah, the grandmother has full custody, um, which is good. And then Taylor did get married in 2020. Uh, to her husband, Warren. Shabow. Shabow or Shabusiness now. Mm-hmm. And so they're still, still going together. strong, I guess. And he's in prison as well. And he posted some on Facebook about how he's like, you know, he's always going to support her and that he was framed. And 
that when he gets out, he's got business to to follow up with. So don't know what that means exactly, but he stands behind her, supports her no matter what. Seems like they were made for each other. Yep, sure does. But yeah, that is the 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 case of Taylor Shabiznis and Shad Therian. Let us know your thoughts. I know this is a it's a heavy one for sure. So I don't have a whole lot of things to to wrap up with. Uh, Daniel, you got any comments? My mom told me if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. <laughs> That's yeah, kind of how I feel right now. I know. It's like there's really no way to. Uh, other we, than parrot what Chad's uncle said, really. Yeah. You know, if you look yeah. up to Jeffrey Dahmer so much, that that to me is like one of the most disturbing parts of this is that she she was clearly obsessed with him. And I can't help but think that the actions that she did were somehow inspired by him. You think so? You don't think she would have done this regardless? I don't know if she would take it to the level that she did without you know, knowing what Jeffrey Dahmer did. Yeah. Certainly seemed inspired by it. It just is weird that it all happened around the same time that she was Googling him and perhaps watching the Netflix show and true and all that, that she goes and does exactly what Dahmer would have done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, disgusting. it's just sick, disgusting. She's uh, right where she needs to be. So I'm glad they caught her yeah. very quickly after that crime. I wish uh, maybe the, uh, I, I understand like COVID was at play here with her being on the ankle monitor and whatnot. Yeah. But, and I think, I think a lot of people at the time were taking advantage of that as well. And I think Taylor knew that she could get away with a lot of stuff by taking advantage of that, not going to jail or anything. Yeah. There's probably a number of times that, you know, she should have been incarcerated and perhaps it would have prevented, you know, this, this whole crime from ever happening. But then again, it, may have happened eventually right so it's hard to say but yeah we're gonna go ahead and wrap up things there let us know your thoughts on this case in the comments below if you're watching on youtube if you're over on spotify or apple podcasts uh, you can always come join us on youtube we premiere the episode uh, sort of uh all at once live so to speak we're not really live but everybody's watching it for the first time on fridays at 12 30 mountain standard time but that is it. We'll see you guys next week. And until then, lights out, everybody.